And this is our plan of attack. Banks have become an essential threat to our democracy. So consider this justice. Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station on the Internet. Please help support this station so this battle can continue forward. Revolution Radio! Extendivite really worked. Just listen to what some people have to say. Several years ago, I was developing a very uh, severe situation. I called it my flippy heart. It just was doing not good things. And I did not want to go to a medical doctor because uh, I just knew they would give me a cover-up pill. I didn't want to get onto that sort of thing at all. When I learned it was garlic and cayenne, and cayenne is a healer. It is a wonderful herb. I said, I think I'm on to something here. I'll tell you, I wouldn't be without it. It did wonderful things for me. Extendivite is only $69.95 for a two-month supply of either capsules or liquid. Call now. That's 1-877-928-8822 or visit partdrop.com. Extend your life with Extendivite. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. The Sacred Matrix, a divine paradigm of love and universal consciousness, with your host, Janet Kira Lesson and Dr. Sasha Lesson. Together, we transform the world. And now, here are your hosts, Janet Kira and Dr. Sasha Lesson. The Sacred Matrix on Revolution Radio, and I'm your host, Janet Kara Lesson, with my co-host, Dr. Sasha Alex Lesson. Our producer is Thomas Becker, also known as a Mad Painter, and today our special guest is Peter Moon. This is part two. Last week we had Peter Moon, and we were talking about the television series Strange Angel, uh, amongst other things. It was a fascinating show. I invite you to go back and listen to it. It'll be the link will be up on AquarianRadio.com in about an hour or two. <clears throat> Excuse me. So this week we're going to focus on Inside the Earth, the second tunnel paperback, which was um, just published January 1st of 2019. And these are stories of the inner Earth. Uh, they have both fascinated and perplexed mankind since the dawn of time. Now, for the first time, hard scientific data is provided that the Earth's core is not what conventional scientists always assume. More amazing than the science, however, are the personal adventures of Radu 
Cinemar, whose position in Department Zero, Romania's secret intelligence division, allows him to pre- penetrate ancient subterranean passageways and meet citizens of civilizations in the inner Earth. Inside the Earth also pri- provides us with a glimpse of the fabled city of Shambhala, a paradise at the core of the inner Earth itself, where balance and harmony are the basis of civilization. Within the core of the Earth is intelligence reaching far beyond the scope of ordinary human consciousness. Inside the Earth is an opportunity for initiation as you explore the frequencies of your own inner nature. Fascinating. Dr. Sasha, Alex, listen, are you there? My love. <laughs> are you there? Yes, yes, I am. I don't know if my mic is working, but I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, we can hear you. Yes, you're coming in loud Thank and clear. You. So Great. we're really looking. Right, the inner Earth is just so fascinating and there's such good records uh, of what really uh, things are opening up and things that everybody should know about so listen up yeah very exciting peter welcome back to the show thank you and first off i, I want to make a comment that i can hear sasha loud and clear but you i uh it sounds like uh it's not coming through all that clear i don't know if that's what the audience hears but if there's anything ahmad can do to uh Straighten out that because they say Sasha is loud and clear, but you're not. Okay, I'm not sure what to do, but we'll see what he can do. Um, but let's listen to you for a while. That's so fine. Tell us about your book. Okay, um, okay, we're talking about the new book that was uh, published in the English language in uh, early this year in January. Um, Inside the Earth, the Second Tunnel by Radu Sinemar. This book took me two years to uh, actually put into the English language. I cannot tell you the amount of frustration and obstacles that were presented. I've been in publishing uh, almost 30 years, and I've never had any di- such difficulty trying to get a book into publication. But it is now in publication uh, two years after the Romanian edition, there was even what was, a friend- uh, what was making it so difficult? Was it getting it translated, or well, there was a number of things. But first, it started with uh, me writing to my publisher and and getting no response. Finally, he writes to me and says, "Why aren't you doing the book?" And you know, kind of like, "Why aren't I doing the book?" Well, you don't write to me, you know. <laughs> Uh, and uh, um, so this was like, you know, well, he's like surprised I'm not doing it. And I'm sitting there. Well, yeah, I mean, I need a contract, but I, I don't need a contract that bad because we have a very much of a gentleman's agreement to do each other's books. However, that wasn't the problem. I couldn't get the damn book to translate. I couldn't get anything. It wasn't until my my, my in-laws came uh, on their own trip in 2017 they were doing a seminar on Long Island that I asked them to bring me five copies of the book, which they did, at which point I had to – I copied every single page in preparation for translation to give my translator the Romanian book, my Romanian translator, and she was having a baby. <laughs> so I, I got this young girl to help me because my wife didn't have time to do it. She's not really a translator. Uh, she did a little bit of it, and but you know, and so I couldn't get anybody to do it. Everybody, and then and then I got this young one as a person I met. 
she was attending a David Anderson lecture and she's, you know, I made a contact with her. So she agreed to do it. But her translation wasn't that good. So it was this rugged, rugged situation. And I ended up using Google Translate plus hers and going back and forth. It was a madness. And uh, and in the, in the meantime, there was other stuff that went on. I think Radu wrote to me. First time I'd heard from him in eight years. Uh, aren't you, don't you like the book? Why aren't you doing it? <laughs> I, said, uh, I, I didn't tell him that the publisher hadn't, you know, communicated with me. Finally, the publisher sent me the graphics for the book and everything, and it all got done. But it was like, and then oh, what Radu said, he also said, when I wrote back to him, he said, this is very interesting that you say all of this, the, the difficulty, because I laid out the difficulty for him. And he says, I've had the same problem with the the, the sixth book that he was working on. And he said that his, his mentor, Caesar, was making fun of him because he couldn't, you know, he was having the same difficulties getting the sixth book, which is now under translation and editing now. So this is, it's. It, I think it has to do with the nature of the beast when you're dealing with things. If I go back to the Montauk Project, 27 years, 28 years when I was writing this, there was enormous resistance to the subject, psychological mm-hmm. resistance to the subject. Now, everybody can talk about it um, and, you know, bandy about it. It, t- it takes time for the humanity as a collective mm-hmm. to be open to certain mm-hmm. ideas. That's right. And, well, you know, you know, Peter, what, what may be happening is that uh, it's uh, the universe is conspiring to make this timed right and not come out too soon, but come out at the right time. It may be utterly perfect. It, well, exactly. Things work uh, work in mysterious ways, and so, so in any case, what this book does, and this book is, of course, as I say, the fifth in a series, and it's longer. Than the other books, the the first uh, four books in the series, the, the I guess I'd say the second, third, and fourth, they were very short books, and uh, particularly the second and the fourth. So I supplemented them with my own adventures because mm-hmm. I just can't put out a hundred page book or whatever was more than that, but I, I had to add to it, uh, and and of course I add uh, considerable background to what's going on in Romania. But um, this book is very special because when, when we talk about Inside the Earth, the Second Tunnel, we're talking about this projection room that I've discussed before with you of in, in underneath the Romanian Sphinx where there's this miraculous hall of records where you can look at the history of the Earth in holographic form. In that In that hall of records or in that projection hall, as they call it, there are three tunnels. One goes to Egypt which is the third underground tunnel to Egypt, which is the the third book, Mystery of Egypt, the first tunnel. This is the second tunnel. There is a third tunnel, which will probably be a future book, perhaps the seventh book, which goes to Tibet uh, via an offshoot with a, with a, by way of or an offshoot to Baghdad and also an offshoot to Mongolia where there are similar installations. So this second tunnel goes what was called inside the earth. It goes inside the earth. Now, when we go back into 2010 or thereabouts, and I have a, a correspondence with Redu Cinemar that ends in 2011, or ends at the beginning of 2011. He mysteriously not only disappears from my communication lines, 
but also he cuts contact with the publisher, which is wow. distresses the publisher. And so, so in any way, he disappears for several years. Now, prior to those, um, to his disappearance, um, he was making comments that his mentor, Caesar Brad, uh, had left for long periods. He would leave for long periods where he was serving as a quote ambassador quote to the in, in, people in the inner earth. And this was sounded very off the wall and mysterious because up to that point, there has been no contact with anybody inside the earth. There's been these incredible stories that allude to civilizations been, or not as civilizations, but ancient ruins and ancient mysteries beneath the earth, but no actual civilization. And so what we have happening in 2011, when Radu disappears, he begins to uh, travel to the inner earth himself. And this is why he disappears. Oh, wow. uh, don't hear about him. I don't know that he disappeared for that long, but everything is under, uh, you know, super secret, Top reps, you know, so, so he is now telling these stories. It's his job to give, uh, the earth, the surface world, as they call it, some perspective. Now, uh, you both know that there's a long history of books about the inside of the earth, it, independent of any of this. It goes back to, um, uh, certainly the Shaver mysteries that were all, you know, strange and, and otherworldly about inside the earth. But there were also, uh, it's in the congressional record that there were budgets approved to explore the inside of the earth, the inner earth. Uh, these never really surfaced beyond that. I think they were discontinued. We don't really know, but it was taken very seriously by the, the people of the uh, early 1800s to actually explore the inside of the earth and they weren't talking about going into the caves in Kentucky. Um, right. So this, there is a long history of this sort of thing. Also going back to Jules Verne who excited mm -hmm. the population. And, and as I've said, I think in the last episode, he was a resident of Transylvania and what he learned there inspired his stories. Uh, let me, let me interject something here. Um, from my understanding, the, I want to call it a, um, a rail system, but it wasn't a rail. It was a travel transportation system, uh, underneath that, um, Stuart Tordo used. I think that apparently is part of the inner earth technologies that they use. They go to Shasta. I interviewed Billy Woodard and he, uh, said he was, uh, he and his sister were dropped off, um, above earth back in the late 40s or early 50s, I think in the late 40s, and he grew up here. So he has a story. I, I invite you to watch his YouTubes. Billy, B-I-L-L-I-E, Woodard, um, was um, the, the military came and got him at his graduation. They said, you're, you're in the Army now. They took him to the underground base because they discovered who he was, and then they um, gradually, he got to see... He got his memories back. Apparently he had been blanked out and raised as an orphan. He got his memories back and then the government said, your dad wants to come, wants to see you. And his dad was an inner earther. So he got to go 
to the inner earth. And so he's, he's up above now, but he travels in and out. So we hear these stories and we have interviewed some people, but I'm, I don't want to, um, interfere in what you're saying, but I just want to interject that, that that rail system was how he got from, I think he was in somewhere like one of the area 51 or somewhere uh, from there all the way over to Shasta. And then he met his dad and then that, uh, they continued using that system. Uh, well, going I, all the I way to clarify some of these things. Yeah. Uh, first off, first off, people like mm-hmm. him and people like Stuart Swerdlow and people like Preston Nichols and Al Bielik, uh coughed up memories that are similar uh, mm-hmm. to, to what you're talking about. And all of these people were viciously mind controlled. So when they cough up these stories, there is always this... Um, traumatic overlay of what they experienced. They were dealing with uh, the netherworld. And it's very important to distinguish this uh, from the work that I either do personally or, you know, in, in my writings or what I'm doing here with the Romanian story, because mm-hmm. uh, there is uh, the, what what we're dealing with here does not come off or is it um, advertised or promoted as mind control? It's learning how to control your own mind and raise your consciousness. Because, you see, in alchemy, there is which these books also deal with uh, to, to a certain degree, is the whole idea is to transmute base metals into gold. What you have in the conspiracy community um, and in the UFO community is the opposite. You're transmitting gold into base metals. The, the consciousness works like this. So that it, it, this is something that, that people have to distinguish because it will just, it's, it's like some of the movies that are put out will take a, a high concept and transmute it to the lowest common denominator. Um, mm-hmm. And, and this, this is something, this, is, this happens when people study magic, occult magic, and it's even happened with the Scientology movement. You know, let's let's reduce everything to the lowest common denominator, which becomes mind control in and of itself. So I, I want to distinguish that. And what? So when we talk about um, the underground and the penetrating of that layer of consciousness, there is a whole change in dimension that takes place. And Radu writes about it as, I suppose, as detailed as he can in the book to talk about, like, say, with Admiral Byrd, um, uh, who was a, a, a mind control candidate himself. Uh, but he had this report of going into the drive, uh, flying into the North Pole and seeing this incredible lush greenery with woolly mammoths. And he was, he was in some other place, according to these reports. And what, but what, what, it's explained that what happens with him, he went through a transformation in consciousness. You, like if you're in some area, say the Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle, you may just feel something funny. The equipment might go off, but that it requires that the person has to be ready for it, so to speak, to, mm-hmm. to be able to recognize in, in what's actually this, this, there's a change in magnetism. There's fluctuations in magnetism. And he goes into this in 
I guess, at least a certain amount of detail so you get the idea that it's not just going to a spot. Uh, in, in the, towards the end of the book, he's going to a place in Argentina, Patagonia. This is the extreme southern area of Argentina. And he's going to be directed by a shaman, him and Caesar. And they're going to go to a city where they're actually going to glimpse Shambhala. And, but when they go there, they give the coordinates of, the coordinates of where they're going. Uh, or just about. The, I don't remember if they give, I think they do give the exact coordinates of where they're going. And Radu's saying, we shouldn't do this. And Caesar says, it doesn't matter. He says, you'll have seek people reading this book, you know, adventure seekers, but they're not going to find it. They go to the exact latitude and longitude, but they're not going to find it because their mind has to be uh, aligned to the experience. It's like the inner world has to accept you. So this is mm-hmm. where, it, and it's it's not like there's somebody pushing at a at a button saying you get to go through. But then again, it is kind of like that because if you study any sort of esoteric development and I find this in the martial arts that I am guided or led to uh, different circumstances that will teach me uh, based upon where I'm at and what I've done. Like, say, if I've worked out hard on a year for, for a particular exercise, I'll walk into the classroom and then all of a sudden I'm told what's my next thing to do. Now, I'm not told. It's not like the, the teacher points at me and says, you're going to do this. No, it just becomes obvious that this is what I need to do. So you're, you're passing guardians of the threshold in normal progression and development. This is exactly what happens in in this context in this particular uh, adventure with, with Radu Cinema. So it, the big book uh, begins with some very intense discussions about the science of the inner earth the science of inside the earth and, and where the earth originated from. And it talks about it in the context of black holes. So there is information in here which completely um, gives added perspective and changes the paradigm of what black holes are, which is utterly fascinating. And it, and it what are they? What is a black uh, hole then? They, of course, we all, know that, that we all know that black holes are... Um, you know, super, you know, gravitational sucks. They, they suck in. Everybody knows this. This, this is not new to science. Um, mm-hmm. and it was Stephen Hawking who recently, uh, you know, passed away. He was given credit. Uh, let me see. I'm seeing, uh, he, uh, he came up with this idea that black holes could emanate something. Now, this is the, I guess what you'd say, the minimal sort of observation that modern science has done. With There were things, I'm trying to find the exact, uh, it's what made Stephen Hawking famous, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, yeah. Let me see. But in any way, is that, that black holes can generate a signal or something. Now, what happens, and, and I would also say that independent of Stephen Hawking, way 
Okay, here here is what it is. In the 1970s, conventional science recognized that black holes emit a type of radiation that is referred to as Bekenstein-Hawking radiation, the discovery of which is only the slightest tip of the iceberg with regards to penetrating this mystery. Okay, but black holes were first discussed, and this is not in the book. This is supplementary information that Mm -hmm. I found out uh, courtesy of Douglas Dietrich. Um, And and you can independently... uh, you know, research at least some of it. Uh, black holes were first discovered in the 1930s by an Indian astrophysicist named, his, his name is really a tongue twister, Subramanian, Subramanian Chandrasekhar. He was uh, awarded the Nobel Prize late in his life, but he was originally derided and despised upon presenting his mathematical formula demonstrating the existence of black holes. Now, he just, he presented these uh, to Cambridge University and a, a man named Sir Arthur Eddington. Now, Sir Arthur Eddington is probably going to go in and out the ears of most people, but he was a very famous and pivotal character in science. Um, his, his history is interesting and significant and, and overlooked. Um, it was said when, when Einstein came up with his general theory of relativity, he was the first one to to, re- to receive it, in a reverse meaningful person to receive it, because he was the secretary of the Royal Astronomical Society in England. And it was also said that he was just about the only one who could possibly understand it. And he would, in 1919, he would conduct an expedition to observe a solar eclipse and provide a confirmation of general relative. So this was, this is what put Einstein on the map as a, uh, physic, genius of physics. Although, and, and Einstein used to say, he says, I'm amazed at how, at the adulation I get because there's only about 10 people in the world who even understand what the heck I'm talking about. <laughs> so, um, and, okay, but when this uh, Chandra Sekhar presented his work on black holes to Sir Arthur Eddington, he looked down on him and referred to him as a yellow nigger. Wow. So Eddington never really got the message on black holes. Um, and certainly Einstein talked about black holes, but, but Eddington, um, he, he discovered something, uh, known as Eddington luminosity, a phenomena associated with accretion theory. Now, accretion theory is the whole idea of things gathering in a cloud of cosmic dust or particles to create a celestial body. Um, and, and Radu talks about accretion theory, but it's really not Radu talking. It's his mentor's mentor, Dr. Zen, who's the Tibetan Lama, who's also Dr. Zen to the Chinese, and he is sort of, this is Dr. Zen laying it on the line. He's, he's talking science it's like a llama talking science in a scientific language. Um, 
No, I mean, and it's not a scientific language. That's it's 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 sort of theory. It doesn't you know you don't have to get out your slide rule and, and mathematics and stuff like that to understand what he's saying. So these are um, you know, and as I say, this science goes back. But but Chandra Sekhar, although he was rejected by the British, he was accepted by the Nazis. They Ooh. saw that he was smart. And they embraced his work. And they integrated into this all the information on black holes into their supercomputer. Uh, and I have stated often in my work, based upon my knowledge at the time, that John von Neumann was the inventor of the first modern computer, which he was in America. But there was a man, and this is all historically verifiable, Conrad Zeus, Z-U-S-E. He was the inventor of the first computer in the Western world. He was German. So he, he, the, the Nazis had this huge supercomputer. And this is one of the reasons they went to Antarctica because they had to preserve it. You know, it was like, you know, it was all about pr- preservation and that sort of thing. But one of the, the things they came up with in this computer with this information was that Black holes are at the center of the galaxy and the center of the universe. And this is where the word black sun refers to. Now, I wrote a book called The Black Sun, Nazis, Montauk, Tibetan Connection. And, of course, the black sun was was in the name of secret society there, Um, a very uh, esoteric and very important secret society. But it was all based upon this whole idea of black holes. To what degree the Nazis understood what what is being said here, I can't say. But they were, you know, uh, sort of like jumping onto the information. Now, one of the, the terms that black holes are referred to is event horizon. Event horizon is basically signifies the end of the viewable viewable landscape. Like it cuts off. Like if you can imagine being in a in a movie set, there's a point where the set cuts off, or it just it doesn't there, and there, maybe there's a big screen, and they're gonna, you know, put a put a movie up on that screen or something. But there's there's a place where, or like Disneyland has a boundary, whereas you go beyond a certain boundary, it's not Disneyland anymore. It's it's regular society. Well, the black hole is the event horizon in this physical universe. It's it's the end of the viewable landscape. So um, they are, within the theory of general relativity, within the paradigm of it, I should say, black holes are identified as a tangible link to the infinite. Um, and the only reason they're tangible is because you can observe them. And to what degree you can observe them is another issue. But, you know, you can notice that they suck things in uh, and, and they are a great mystery. Uh, and, and so this is how the book sort of begins addressing this mystery of them. And I talked about they, they think that, you know, stars or, or galaxies, they, they either stars or galaxies form with this accretion theory where all this cosmic stuff starts starts, you know, rotating around. But what what he's saying here is that 
where where water uh, where where black holes exist, they are um, generated by water. Water, or I should I I'm, I missaid that water is comes out of this mysterious reference point, which we call a black hole. Water it emits water. The process to create water begins with a condensation of subtle water from the etheric plane through the dynamic rotation of a black hole. So it's rotation. If you study my videos at the Time Travel Education Center, you'll see that its rotation is what makes time manifest. Rotation. Oh. And, and this is where you get the, the Nazi symbol. It's not the Nazis used it, the swastika. It's a symbol of rotation. It's a source point. Um Of course, it gets amalgamated and distorted and, you know, all this sort of stuff. But it's a universal symbol. So it, it begins with a condensation yes. of subtle water from the etheric plane. So you're dealing with, with a spiritual plane. Um, in, in the martial arts, they call it the vapors, you know, the vital vapors, which, you know, everything goes from, uh, you know, physical to emotional to mental to causal to, to um Vital vapors. Vital vapors. So you're dealing here with gases and whatnot. And this condensation appears like an expulsion from a black hole's vortex. And it will manifest as ice. And it says it's something that astrophysicists have noticed, uh, but they don't necessarily understand what this this water or ice is doing in space. Uh, Preston Nichols, independent of all of this, told me that the, the basic universe was consisted of water. Right. And, and, and this was not necessarily his idea. This was like advanced science, which he would pay attention to and study. Now, where, with the relationship between water and, and uh, subtle water, Uh, it's it's it has the same properties as potable water, but it's not, and it's it's has similar properties. And here you get into the sort of the reference point of alchemy. Water, it's 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 a quality. You have the four elements of of water, fire, earth, and air, and those are certain quality qualitative aspects of of existence. So you have the, the water manifesting out of the black hole, but what he also says is that the center of the earth is a black hole too. There's a black sun, a black hole. That black sun in the center of the earth, that people have heard about the black sun, is a black right. hole. And it's not the whole idea that there's people walking on the opposite side of the ground and looking down into a black hole in the middle. The, the cartoonish version, it doesn't work that way. That's not how the physics of the inner earth are. So... Um, And, and he, he goes into um, basically all of the dogma that scientists believe and stick to as opposed to having open mind. Now, certainly you both know that so much of science or scientists, people that call themselves scientists, are preoccupied with attitude, tremendous attitude and tremendous mm -hmm. Uh, which it just amounts to prejudice. 
So, yes, it's it's true that people who have uh, fragmentary ideas or get overexcited out of ideas, they should not be embraced unless they do their homework. But you you have uh, Bruce Lipton's even talked about it, like he was the laughing stock of geneticists until now. Twenty years later, they're starting to acknowledge what he he was saying. So you have this. This yeah, the other thing is that when Eddington turned away that uh, fellow because of his racism, he gave the Germans a leg up over the English. And that shows you what racism does to us. It's so right on. Uh, yeah. Good yeah, story. Exactly. And um, I, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yes, quite, quite, quite a, quite a, uh, a barrier to learning has a racism be. But that's just one aspect of the prejudiceness. And I could even give a whole talk on how uh, all this, this racism, you know, is based upon um, Exodus, the Exodus uh, of Egypt and, and the whole disease of uh, which resulted in uh, people being having white skin and losing their their mental characteristics. That's that's a whole other separate subject, um, and 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 you know from contracting leprosy, what was called leprosy, but it really it, it's not the leprosy we know in modern times. It's called spotted skin, which was um, was what the Greeks called leopards, spots. You know, they see the, the white people mm-hmm. spotted skin, leprosy, and in, in the Bible they called it zarat, which is the wrath of God um, from some sort of master uh, infection of the human race and this is why so many people were kicked out of Egypt and they had three separate exoduses but in any case we're, we're talking about something here um, that is revolutionary but and, and you know you people will you, you'll appreciate this is like my uh, in astrology my Uranus the planet Uranus is in my 10th house which means I you know, kind of knock the knock the uh, foundation off of thinking, off of typical thinking, very unconventional thinking in my career. The tenth house being the career, so my, you know, I, I pull the roots out from conventional thought, and um, over time, it it's it's okay, you know, because people are are thinking in this very pigeonhole sort of reference frame. But what it also goes into uh, the, the whole concept of the inside of the earth and how scientists have determined that there's all of this, um, what do you call it, um, molten, that the core of the earth is molten nickel, iron nickel, and then around it there's all of this magma and, and fire. And they have the whole earth, that the earth is solid flat. Are, are mm-hmm. solid. It's like a like a billiard ball. Uh, it's it's not hollow inside. Now, what he does, he goes into detail about something called the Cavendish experiment. And I would imagine that most of the world doesn't know what the Cavendish experiment is. But the Cavendish experiment was a experiment done in I think it was the late eighteen hundreds. And it was um, basically using a couple of balls to determine, uh, I'm trying to look it up here in the book, 
Mm-hmm. Um, he has illustrations of it and whatnot. But it was interpreting... It's an experiment that is like very... Everybody assumes it. Um, everybody assumes that this this whole ex, that this experiment that was done in the 1800s answers all the questions of what what is inside the earth. But it's all assumption because first off, he says that when they whatever they establish in that case is only relevant for a certain percentage. It may be a very high percentage. But, however, it's all this assumption. So all these scientists are basing their attitudes on an experiment that was done hundreds of years ago and doesn't address certain issues. So this is like everything is being done on this huge misunderstanding. And a few people have taken issue with Radu for beating this subject to death, for beating it to death. Um Okay, the, it was establishing the average value for the density of the Earth and using something called a torsion balance to measure the weak gravitational force between two lead balls. It was the first lab experiment to measure the force of gravity between masses and to produce definitive values for the gravitational constant and the mass density of the Earth. So they're, they're doing this experiment, which was a reasonable experiment to do. However, you're you're assuming that these two lead balls and the earth are, are like the earth. And they're not like the earth because lead balls are electrically neutral. The earth is not electrically neutral. It has intense electrical magnetic, magnetic activity, which can even change the gravity. It can change, uh, in the atmosphere and, and, and within the earth. So you cannot call the earth neutral in any way, shape, or form because it's a very dynamic ball or spheroid, whatever you want to do it. So this assumption of of it's acting like a lead ball is completely ludicrous. And then this is what it's all based upon. So it's like um, it's, it's, it's science taking something and reducing it to the lowest common denominator and then building a sort of cult around the idea that this is the way the, what's inside of the earth and then you adopt this iron of uh, this uh the idea of iron nickel core and he goes into the experiments that have done that show that that things are very different so as i say some people uh a few have taken issue with it uh that, that read it before it was published and say he's beating a dead horse he's beating a dead horse well you know what it's okay that he beats the dead horse because the, the dead horse is, is like a zombie, <laughs> you know, <laughs> going around and influencing people's minds. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's good that he does this. And, um, and so, so he, he puts a foundation to what he's talking about and goes into drilling seismic waves and other, uh, Issues that, that don't fit. So, and he's got abundant illustrations here that, uh, and, and, and this is all a foundation for him to enter, uh, the, the world, enter the, um, enter the inner earth. And he's being set up for this. And the first visit he takes is to a place that's underneath a city 
called Tomas, T-O-M-I-S. It's an actual city in southeastern Romania. May get a chance to go there the next month. Um, wow. I may get a chance, um, but but I have seen online, and I assume they are pictures of of this an underground city that is there that that is just an underground culture, and this is typical. I, I say typical Earth civilization. It may be thousands and thousands of years old, but it's underneath this area, and there are ruins there. How accessible they are, I don't know. There's a lot of real gold mines, uh, and I don't mean literal gold. There are literal gold mines in Romania, but there are archaeological uh, gold mines, so to speak, that I don't know about their accessibility. If I really did my due diligence and protocol, I could probably access them uh, through the connections I have there, um, not necessarily through Radu, but some of the other connections. Um, but th- this is a lot of work and you know, to do that, and, and you know, I've, I've got to keep doing my job. So, right. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I mean, is it really worth it? And I mean, what am I going to get some great footage? And, and what am I going to do with the footage? Show it on YouTube? Uh, sell it to <laughs> Hollywood? You know, I mean, it's like, uh, and, and maybe it won't be as easy, and it's, you know, I, I you know, but I might get to, to visit, uh, might get to find, I find some things out. But anyway, Radu is being set up to visit a underground city that is called Tomasis, which is underneath Thomas. And of course, he accesses it through the, the projection hall, through the tunnel in the projection hall. He goes through, um, a second tunnel, um, with a bifurcation, splits off. He goes through one of the, one of the splits and he's going there with Caesar to basically meet some people and what and it he describes it and it's not fresh in my memory so how is he going or is he walking is he sending his spirit uh is he on on a train how is he going he's going through a tunnel and this tunnel uh he goes through a tunnel and it, it basically affects a space distortion um He's got the first thing he does when he enters the tunnel. He's got and he shows a diagram. He's got uh, crystals in a rhombic formation, like a rhombic, uh, just a geometrical uh, configuration. And then he he goes through what he calls is a space distortion. He goes through that distortion, and then I think at one point uh, Caesar tells him to throw his keys back there when they go through the space distortion because he can't see past it. And Caesar left. Don't worry, they'll still be there when you come back. You know, he's just trying to demonstrate. Wow. And then when he goes through that space distortion, there's the bifurcation. He's got it's called a border area of frequency deviation, and he's got he can go in two di- two directions. One goes off to the center of the Earth. He takes the branch to Tamasus, which is where he's going to visit. And at one point. And he makes several visits to different locations. Um, I think in this one, he goes, it describes him going below the earth uh, and, and sort of like in a, I think it's like an elevator that you can kind of see. And he does actually go through areas of molten. He says, not all the stuff you hear about what's, you know, the mantle of the earth is indeed real. And there's powerful, obviously, volcanoes inside the earth. But 
there's a whole series of stuff going on down there. And at a certain point, it's physical. At a certain point, it's no longer quite so physical because you go in and you access water. You go through a water barrier. Now, independent of this, Douglas Dietrich, who has read all of these secret government files, says that there's more, and he's not the only one to say this, by the way, but there's more water inside the earth. We're talking about water, water, than on the outside of the earth. There's a lot of water in there. So when you get into the area of the water, you're, you're kind of reaching into a uh, distortions of such. And I, I can't um, iterate all of this terribly accurately because even though I probably read this book five times, you know, I don't have a, a photographic memory to, to be able to, to recite this. However, what he does is he goes down and he, he goes down where he meets a civilization. He meets people from a civilization and these are real physical people and they're in a real physical ground. They have an area that has a sun in it, but it's a, it's, it's everything. In other words, life finds a way to survive under here. And it's, he, he talks about some of the fauna or the flora rather, not the fauna. And, um, in other words, there's a whole civilization under there that is physical. In other words, it's touch. It's in this dimension. There is another. He goes there, and he's he's being sort of um, going there to establish relations. Basically, he's receiving an um, an initiation. It's uh, so going through this dimensional elevator. Or a lift is is what they call it, and he's going into a cavity within the earth. And let me see here. Uh, uh, there's a very foggy atmosphere and a sea, and there's this light that kind of exudes itself through. So there's this this lighting effect talking taking place, which is a little more subdued than we would experience, but nevertheless, it's just life is evolved in a different way than what we know as Earth. So it's quite, quite an adventure. The vegetation is kind of, I guess the word would be muted or uh, a, a little lackluster compared to what we're used. There's not as much variety, not as much um, perhaps exuberance as some of the life, but he does um, does describe it. And then, of course, uh, when he meets meets people down here, there's a whole say interaction, and all of this is a is a setup to visit a more um, I guess what you'd say mysterious civilization. Are they speaking German or English or telepathy? Roma- uh, well, I think if they're, I think here they're speaking Romanian to him because they ah. also explain that later on telepathy fits into the, the thing, but Romanian is, uh, I think they speak because they actually are ancient Romanians and they, and you see there was, um, Romania had a, a big issue with the Roman Empire around the year 100. The emperor 
uh, Trajan, he was, uh, he was Spanish, but he was the Roman emperor, but he knew that his ancient ancestors came from, uh, Desha, which is Transylvania. And so he went back to, um, take over, uh, to, you know, to explore it and, and eventually take it over. And he, con- you know, conquered it. So if you go into a certain museum in Bucharest, you'll see, um, this, um, you'll see all of this architecture and stuff and all this art from that time period. But all the art is showing the conquest of the Romans over the Dacians. And it's real. And I was in there with a Romanian woman and she was like saying, this is outrageous. This is all Roman history. It's not our history. And, and so, I mean, it's very impressive. And I mean, and in the gold in the basement, they have all this incredible gold from that time period the Dacian gold that the Romans uh, had taken or acquired. It, it's just like I had a couple of sensitives that just started like losing it, like like physically leaving their body in the presence of all this gold. Um, they're very sensitive women. And uh, um, I mean, they had to be stabilized. One in particular. Wow. She had to be physically stabilized outside the museum. I, I had to go down the street and get her some water while everybody looked after her. And we, we brought her back. But it was like the gold had a very definite impression on her. And so anyway, the um, a lot of these, according to what, what they're saying in this book, is the Dacians escaped. Now, this is not the first time I've heard this. A lot of them escaped, and they just left this world um, and went underground. Now, one of the things that the, the, the Romans did is they took uh, hundreds of tons of gold from Transylvania and they brought it and this became the gold of the Roman Empire and there's an ancient Dacian tradition which is if you want to destroy your enemies, give them gold because they will go destroy themselves with it here's the gold and you know, Rome eventually um, you know, fell um, not, not long after that a couple hundred years so this is and so basically they're saying we never left. You know, we, we just went underground and we evolved over the years and whatnot. So there is a relationship between the surface world and the underground world. And, and this, this relationship gets, um, more, I guess what you'd say developed in, in the, the current books that I'm working on. The, the sixth book, which is called um, Forgotten Genesis. I'm, so, so, so they're deliberately uh, educating Radu. That's correct. For some mission. That's correct. That's correct. Well, for a relationship. It's actually they're forming a a relationship. Just like I've formed a relationship with Radu, uh, he's formed a relationship with them. And uh, it's very interesting because... Um, you know, I'm like kind of like this like conduit for him. But the only reason I'm a conduit for him is, is not only because of all the things I've done in the past that led me to this, but that I keep, I keep pushing the envelope, you know. Right. I haven't. And we're going to be going on a break in about 30 seconds here, so we'll go into more of this after the break. So fascinating, because yeah, we wouldn't be oh. getting this information. If it wasn't for you, Peter, you're getting it out to the 
the rest of the world. Yes, and the other other countries can read the English easier than Romanian, and they can they can work and work out translations into the rest of the world through the English. Right. So your role is obvious and vital. And then, so uh, we'll go into this. <laughs> I'm waiting for the music here to come any second. There it is. Okay, we'll be back in five minutes. Uh, enjoy your break. See you in five. Don't be a statistic. Don't be part of the problem. 
be part of the solution. We need as humans to start taking care of ourselves and not depending on the megacorps to provide unhealthy, nasty food. Included in this package is also a DVD with 900 survival and off-grid living documents and the offline home canning how to do everything website all on the DVD. So when you're growing all that food, you know how to can it, store it, preserve it, etc. with all these documents. So thank you for tuning in to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. I hope that you will pick up this package and start learning to be free. Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, where information never sleeps and freedom is one seed that needs to be planted. tuning in to Revolution Radio. Here at Revolution Radio, we are listener sponsored and commercial free. But there still are bills to pay. In order to raise some needed funds to cover the cost, our station is offering a silver special. In the continental United States for a $60 donation, or in Alaska, Hawaii, or Canada for a $70 donation, we will send you an uncirculated 2018 one-ounce pure silver eagle. The $70 donation, uh, the extra 10 is to cover shipping, by the way, outside of the continental United States. When making the donation, you must put Silver Eagle promo in the notes on the donation. And thank you for tuning in to Revolution Radio at revolution.radio and freedomslips.com. Without you, there is no less. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. It happens more often than we can imagine. In my case, I was sitting at home, and out of nowhere, I just started feeling uncomfortable. Then it got worse, and I started perspiring. I tried to ignore it, but I waited too long. The chest pain came as we were driving to the hospital emergency. I felt my life clock begin to tick. I barely survived. There was lots of damage done to my heart. What do I do now? I was lucky. I took a leap of faith and tried a seven-herb formula with hawthorn, garlic, cayenne, and more called Extendivite. Herbs have been used for thousands of years to keep us healthy. If you're not using Extendivite as a preventative supplement, maybe it's time to start. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extendivite. The opinions expressed on this radio station, its programs, and its website by the hosts, guests, and call-in listeners or chatters are solely the opinions of the original source who expressed them. They do not necessarily represent the opinions of Revolution Radio and FreedomSlips.com, its staff, or affiliates. You're listening to Revolution Radio, FreedomSlips.com, 100% listener-supported radio, and now we return you to your host. Aloha and welcome back to Sacred Matrix on Revolution Radio and I'm Janet Care Lesson with my co-host Dr. Sasha Alex Lesson and producer Thomas Becker, also known as a mad painter. And we have Peter Boone with us and we're going to continue with the 
adventures to the inner earth after this uh, commercial fundraising break. We'd like to remind everybody to please go over to that donation button on revolution.radio and make your donation this week because we really need your donations and they help us stay on air and bring you good shows like this. An ad painter, how are we doing with the fundraiser? Uh, we're not doing real good. Today's the last day and we still need $508. All right, people, come on. Cough it up. <laughs> Make a donation. Wow. Okay. Not good. Uh, well, hopefully you'll get over there. Sasha, are you back? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, don't yes, say that. Uh, yeah. joke. that was silly. No more silly jokes. <laughs> uh, okay, I would say I'm anterior if you're back. Uh, right. In any case, uh, we, yeah, it is said that from Shambhala, uh, every uh, 25,000 uh, years or so, arises a Kalki in a new era. So it is that the uh, we have a conduit. Uh, Peter is a conduit. Radu is a conduit. And we're getting the wisdom of the ancient uh, people of Romania who are trying to give us a message. And, we've, and this is just like perfect because we're getting it you're so lucky you're getting it right now back to peter well actually um in in one of the the, the book the secret parchment which is a document that he recovers in uh, the high high country of tibet uh it's given to him by a blue goddess named mashandi um this is uh i when somebody read the book who was very uh, closely attached to a, a lama a lama up in woodstock he recognized this as a, when the Buddhists call it terma. A terma is a manuscript that will be discovered and uh, in the future. It was deposited by uh, Padman Sambhava, the uh, founder of Tibetan Buddhism, also known as the Second Buddha. And he had these uh, manuscripts deposited uh, and, and they would rise again and they would signify, they would rise at the time and pivotal events would occur around them. Um, and so mm-hmm. basically when this, this one, uh, person read this, he recognized this and he says, you know, he says, uh, so he, you know, he, he arranged a meeting for me, uh, with the Lama in, in Woodstock. Uh, you know, like it was his birthday. 300 people were waiting to get in and see him and they were turned down. They all had, nice gifts for him. And I was escorted up the back door, got to meet him and, you know, talk about this stuff with him. Of course, he was, what he was most interested in when I told him my story was about the Dr. David Anderson's technology. You know, can I go back? Can I be younger again? You know, he was 93 at the time. He's still kicking in his mid nineties. I, I revisited him with my Romanian relatives who <laughs> graciously accepted, you know, he doesn't necessarily have time for everybody. So, this was reg- in, in ter- terms of what you're saying, and of course the, the Buddhists believe in Shambhala. Uh, this this is uh, you're, you're right on saying this. It was recognized by uh, you know this religion. So in any case, uh, yeah, this is an incredible uh, occurrence here. Now he's uh, in as I was saying, Radu is going from Tamasus. Now he's getting in a vehicle, which is he goes into the description of the vehicle and how it operates. Uh, with this sort of scales on it and, and these, it's all related to magnetism and gravity. And he takes this journey to another location, which is now, he was beneath Southeast Romania. 
now he's going to uh, an area that is equates to underneath Transylvania. And he goes there by this very, I guess, it's like a science fiction a vehicle he goes. And when he gets to, and this is the town called Apelos, A-P-E-L-L-O-S. And he's actually, as he's in driving or riding in this car, he's getting images on the screen, which are kind of educating him on, on, you know, the history of the city and what happened. And it shows that their, their light, uh, the light in Tamasis where he was, was from a natural ionization of the atmosphere. But in Apelos, it's produced artificially. Flowing images are showing him uh, that the inhabitants of the city uh, did created something um, like LEDs, but they're like quartz crystals, which are integrated with a special composite uh, that the interior illumination of the cavity, cavity underground cavity doesn't need auxiliary energy. So it's kind of like a harnessing the light within crystal. Now I can tell you that if you, and I've had this demonstrated to me, if you take a couple of quartz crystals and you, if they're flat on the bottom, so like if they were cut and like flat on the bottom and you shake them together in, in a dark closet, you will see light manifest. Wow. Uh, this this was demonstrated to me by a, uh, I guess you could call him a druid. He's a pretty, oh. pretty unusual man. Um, but uh, so there's a lot of properties and, and whatnot. That, and, and, of course, you could say that if people read this book and they start trying to apply the technology in there for mass consumption, there's nothing wrong with that. But the way technology comes out of the government, it's like it's all like it's distributed, you know. Like Apple will do this, IBM will do this, Microsoft will do this. I mean, that's kind of the way secret technology is distributed once it gets at a, you know, corporate level. It's just the way they, you know, whether they figured this out or understand any of this, I, I couldn't tell you what the relationship is between. Um, I could talk about what the relationship is between Radu and Caesar with. Most of it, you know, if not all of it, comes through the military. Um, so, and, 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 and the military seems to have a ardent respect for their for their work and what they do because they're held at bay by certain forces. So, um, it's it's very hard to, to describe that that sort of thing. Um, so basically, we're going to a much more highly evolved society in Apelos and. It's, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to see where uh, where this goes to. These are large caverns beneath the territory of what are called the Apuseni Mountains um, in Transylvania. It's in southern Transylvania. It's an area I have not really been to. I might have driven through there, maybe. I don't recall, but I haven't had a chance to explore, and I've always been told to explore it. Um, very interesting area. So uh, this this goes back into some of the ancient. Um, there's this, lots of caverns beneath the earth, and some of them are occupied, some of them are not. It's like a whole 
evolution. Like if you could imagine how the ancient Native Americans settled America, you know, it was haphazard and they went in different ways and there were all these different communities. So if you could imagine that sort of occurring beneath the earth, um, a lot of description of technology here. Um, and are they a space-bearing race? Are they that, ask me again. Heard that the, are they a space-bearing race? And um, they go to outer okay. space. Uh, it's not discussed here. There is an allusion, okay. maybe to, but it's it's not really that that paradigm. He doesn't really go into. Um, Radu sent me a private message uh, in the first year I went to Romania. In fact, he was going to send it to me, and I said, don't send it. Have it delivered to me when I visit Atlanticron. Uh, or, you know, because, and, and that was hand-delivered to me. Uh, it was a message that he gave. Uh, and he said, at the end of it, you know, he said, uh, I, I was trying to arrange a whole bunch of people to listen to it with me, and I had to get a tape record or a CD player. And it was very funny. I couldn't, at the time I went to do it, I couldn't get anybody to listen to it with me, but I got the, the recorder, and there was a couple of people down the table from me, and they weren't, they were having their own conversation. They weren't paying any attention to me. So I'm playing this thing, and at the end of the tape, he gets the CD. He says, uh, by the way, I don't want you to show this to anybody. I don't want you to hear anybody <laughs> except for David Anderson. Uh, and so, uh, who I very much like to meet. And uh, so nobody heard it. But the um, one of the things he said in it is that he says, I can't talk about who created this base or, you know, this is something I can't talk about. But he's obviously alluding to aliens. And, of course, in the, in the, the new book, he is talking about it. To a certain, he doesn't talk about the construction of the base. He's talking about, but he's talking about more of an alien consciousness. He does mention the word, uh, and I think he mentions it in a couple of the other books. But it was almost like when he first released this, we thou shalt not say alien or or that sort of thing. And I, I don't know why it was such a big deal about it. Uh, there's also in book three, Mystery of Egypt, when he. Uh, Caesar is in the time machine and he's, he's actually going back and trying to find out who built this device and he's blocked. In other words, they're not, he can't penetrate it. It's like, just don't go there. Um, for whatever reason. When, when we get underneath Transylvania, does the language change from, uh, ancient Romanian to, uh, Transylvanian? Is there, what, is there any change like that? Are the people different? Uh, they're not, not as much as you might think. They're not that much different. Um, they're not that much different. Uh, in fact, this town where he's going to, and I can only tell you from the new book, this becomes a very pivotal town because there is going to be a relationship between him and this town, Apelos. Um, but a, yes. a lot of the stuff... Yes. This is the exciting city because you're basically saying this is an advanced civilization and here's how they do it. So I really want to hear how they do it. You know what? I'm, I'm not prepared to spit it out because I just, you know, I can't say it. It's like, you know, it's like I, it's not fresh in my mind. 
Uh, oh, okay, okay. That, that's that's the problem in you know talking talking here about you know their transport network. Their he talks about this these devices and all this technology. Bloody, bloody, blah. Teleportation of goods. He well, talks I about the teleportation of goods, and this is important to mention. He's talking about that they have a trade between the surface world and this world, and they basically buy. I don't want to know what buy means. You know, trade goods. They need goods from the the upper world. I don't know that they have to have them, but uh, and I don't know if you see. Uh, brand cereals in their cupboards. They don't mention that or, you know, I, I don't really know what it is they buy, but they buy certain things, whether they be technology oriented. Um, and you could have entire um, factories that are dedicated to making stuff for these people because I can, you know, cheat a little bit going ahead to the next book. Radu, Radu is brought to a warehouse over and he he goes there and he develops a relationship and they are these there's some of these people from Apelos live above ground and they run a warehouse and, he, and Radu is taken into the warehouse where he's put on a device which is a very intuitive device where he can begin to get initiated and learn more things it all follows his intuition this would be the opposite wow. of a mind control device where you're controlling it and it's telling you things. It, it reminds me a little bit of an acid trip. I said, I say little bit because it's kind of like feeding off of your own psyche and, and, and illustrating mm -hmm. and rep, giving you visual representations and images that are being portrayed in holography. So he's developing a relationship with these people. And, uh, mm -hmm. and then he sort of like, uh, um, and, and while he's on this visit, he's, he's basically, um, it's been an initiation to see all this stuff. And then he describes it as being in sort of a drunken magical state. Because when he gets back to the base, he realizes that he hasn't been gone very long. But it seemed like a long time. So he might have been gone three hours or something back there. And, you know, he goes back to his room and it's, it's like uh, a long time. And then he's going to go back through another uh, another tunnel where he actually, this is a whole different series of experiences where he doesn't go, so much go to a society or anything like that, but he's like penetrating a different plane of existence. And he, he meets this character called the Guardian. And the, the guardian is is like a, you know, sort of like an oversoul that is ex explains things to him. Uh, he goes into sort of a description using a Mobius strip of how to penetrate the inner earth. This is Caesar talking to him, and it, it, it it's kind of like how to how to penetrate, you know, the, the inner earth sort of thing. But, but the Guardian, there's this whole talk that they're going to meet the Guardian. And and then Caesar explains to him, the Guardian shows up exactly when he's supposed to. So, you know, Red is worried if he's late or if he's not and all this sort of things. And this Guardian sort of, and, and you could say that this is his 
uh, if you were to compare this to magical occult studies, you'd say this is his higher guardian angel talking. But it's it's presented as this this guardian who's there, and um, there there is a telepathic rapport with with this. And Radu wants to know if he's the guardian of Shambhala. And the guardian says, um, identifies himself as, as one of them and says that people still believe in this legend, but he says it's true. And that he was, um, and he said that in a vast distance he could see Shambhala in a, in a vast distance. He could get uh, just a, a little glimpse of the city. And he called it, he said the buildings were tall, semicircular, and shining like a diamond. Um, and the Guardian explains that Shambhala, you know, the name is actually been rendered correctly, and so much of the core stuff about it is sort of stuck, despite all of the human ignorance and human obfuscation that occurs somehow he's just a threat of it is as remain in the uh is is accurate so to speak and this guardian is sort of a preparation for him to have get a, a deeper experience and it's a it's a it's sort of a quick visit now the this is the next thing that happens is that they they get back to the base and they're getting information from uh, the Americans. Actually, the they're told that uh, they're supposed to uh, meet with the, uh, the the venerable one. They call him the uh, the um, what's that guy? Signor Mazzini, Signor Mazzini from the first book, who was the the Italian Freemason who kind of made all of this discovery possible. And the American Americans want to meet with them because there's a issue with this Masonic master. And so this is like, what's all this stuff coming back into the 4A4? And it turns out uh, there is a meeting uh, with the Americans, but the venerable master, the Mason, who is incarnate evil, uh, he just wants access to certain artifacts. That's all he wants. He's got his own issues. And he's kind of missing the forest for the trees. So he just kind of like, okay, they just shuttle him down. They give him what he wants and he can have these artifacts and he can study until the cows come home. And uh, it, it doesn't seem to, to cross lines. But the, the major, and this is an ally of theirs in the American government, the American military, Major Cross, who's very friendly with them, and he respects them, he understands them, and you you get the idea that this American officer kind of sees both sides of the equation, and he's kind of heaven-sent as far as um, dealing with. But he wants them to uh, come to California and to explore something that they have run up against. It's an interdimensional portal in Yosemite and they don't know how to deal with it and they want advice. And because, see, here's where the Americans begin to respect Radu and Caesar because they are obviously experts at dealing with a portal. So much that 
they now have access to, to who can enter and who cannot enter the portal. Because, and they earn this with respect and, um, you know, by what they've been able to accomplish. So it is an invitation for Radu and Caesar to go to Yosemite. And this was very touching to me, uh, not just because Yosemite is a favorite location of mine, which I haven't been to since I was 10 years old, but it also fits in with a secret society. I dedicated my whole fourth volume of the Montauk Pulse to. Uh, called Eclampus Vitus, which is a secret society um, that is a bizarre secret society that basically has all the control of the gold country and the gold within it in the Sierra Madre of California. And I only discovered the importance of it through a friend of mine, uh, Dennis Marshall, who is a descendant of James Marshall, the man who first discovered gold for the California Gold Rush. I found out that James Marshall's middle name was James Wilson Marshall, something he didn't know. And, of course, Wilson's tie big into the work that I've done, the, the Wilson synchronicities. They also tie uh, into the work of another author who wrote about the, what happened between the real Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, um, Walter Bosley. And I don't remember the name of his books, but I've read all three of them. And they go into the name, the synchronicity of the names with Wilson and how they tie into um, the ancient uh, airships of uh, there's a separate book um, uh, about the secret. It's called The Secrets of Delshaw, which is by forget the author's name. Dennis Crenshaw's name is I met him. And, and this is about the, these aeroships that, that were uh, flying over California. And and there is a whole artist named Delshaw who wrote these incredible watercolor drawings with detailed diagrams of these airships. And he was a, a German immigrant. And there's a whole tie to Germany with this and secret stuff. So, of course, the fact that this has come in Yosemite um, is of great interest to me. And, and not so much Yosemite itself, but the, uh, the whole intrigue around Eclampus Vitus, who's a secret mason society uh, that is just ludicrous to see them they, they act like a bunch of crazy people on the outside but if, if you get into the inner politics of that area they control it they have a firm grasp, grasp on it so here he is going into their backyard and of course doesn't mention them but that's just my personal interest in this it's called the magic portal in Yosemite and they go and this time they're, they're going to be taken to an Indian reservation in Yosemite. And this Indian reservation has uh, cabins on it that are kind of ancient from the 1800s. And I've actually looked online and, and see that the descriptions and illustrations he makes of the cabins are uh, similar, if not identical, to the cabins in this Indian reservation. And they go into a cabin, and this time they go through a portal with the help of some Indian shamans. And they have to be, first they have to be proofed or examined by the shamans and they're allowed to come in. But this time there's no technology. There's no technology. And Radu says, you know, I'm so used to all the technology we have back there with all the crystals and all the stuff. Here there was none. And they pass through a portal. And this portal... um, 
is, is, um, you know, I guess there's, there's a lot more. It's different. Everything is different. They see their first fauna, which is a lizard species that looks like the monitor lizard. Um, there's lush sort of abbreviated palm trees. Um, they, and, um, mountains and everything. And, and, and then, um, they see some, some interesting areas here, but what, what they're really able to see here is they meet a, uh, they meet a man that down there, and this is all it amounts to. They're basically told that they'll be going on this mission to Argentina. And this is, you know, whatever the Americans wanted to know about this portal, I don't know what that was about. But when, when they go there, they're being called there by these inner guardians. And they're basically, you know, he's being told that he's going to Argentina and he's told where he's going in Argentina. So they're actually getting directions to go to Patagonia, which involves the, uh, the next chapter, which is the center of the planet and the sublime world of Shambhala. And this is the most important, uh, certainly the most moving chapter for me. And I think it's the most important one because they're going to, uh, they have their adventures. They go to, um, um, you know, all the logistics they go to get there. And when they get there, they kind of go to a um, cave. They walk through where they're met first met by a shaman who's just there to escort them to the cave um, then they meet some other people through the cave and they go into the cave or they end up going into a house. It's sort of like a portal. They go into the house. Um, there's description of the fruits and the devices that they use. It's more modern than a blender or something like this. Uh, and then they go out into the city and the city is, um, to me, it looks sort of like ancient Rome if it was built in a consecutive, uh, I don't know. Uh, but it's, it doesn't really look like Rome. I don't know. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's beautiful. But what the whole, this is where so much of, basically they go and they get a really good view of Shambhala. And it's just a beautiful energy that he perceives. And there's a halo around it. And, the guide that they're with basically tells them the halo is unique to your perception. It re- represents the limits to which your consciousness can understand what it sees. Beyond this limit, it no longer perceives the vibrational frequency of what is there. So he also knows, he's with Caesar, he's right next to him. He says, Caesar has been to Shambhala many times in the past, but he never discusses the subject. And he felt always that it was a barrier that must be respected. And he never insisted upon asking him about it. Um, but now he begins to get a, a rush from just seeing the city. And it's like what I interpreted from reading it. It's like this is like the ultimate connection of positivity. And all of this is being orchestrated by the wise men of Shambhala is, is what they're saying. But it, in other words, they're putting they're putting this like if you're astute enough to to read it, they're basically saying here is this energy of consciousness. Um, we've told you about the black holes. We've told you about the 
the inside of the earth. We've told you about these remarkable adventures. This is just a taste of what we are. Now, focus, and this is all the gloriousness of what, what can be. And what I, where, and here I'm going off into my own interpretation of what I've experienced. If you ever watch some of the old movies about Christianity and the beginnings of Christianity, they'll often show the Christians conspiring in secret and they'll, they'll say where they're going to meet. They'll put the sign of the Vesica Pisces. And we, we don't really know what happened. Historically, in those early years, there was so much manipulation of history, but there was definitely cults that, you know, did this. And of course, astrology will tell you that the age of Pisces was uh, represented uh, with this, well, the Vesica Pisces, uh, which is like two um, spheres interlocking, uh, interlocking, which is two worlds interlocking. And of course, what you can take out of those early Christians before they got all um, persecuted and that sort of thing is that they were the whole message of that time period, right or wrong, was to escape this dimensional world because this dimensional world is the pits. It's literally the pits. Go to the other world. Embrace the other world. And of course, what does Christianity have come with it? It comes with the idea of love everlasting love. And of course, there has been a manipulative interface put between the individual and that love. Um, but the whole idea is, uh, as you see it portrayed in movies, in books and whatnot, is that one could escape uh, into an everlasting love, into an everlasting, everlasting uh, acceleration of consciousness. Now, this message is coming uh, at it from a different perspective and one that is not so uh, filled with some of the uh, you know purgatorial aspects that come along with with regular Christianity um, so that this is this was a very uplifting book and furthermore it's it's this is the the wise men of Shambhala creating a conduit to the outer world. Now this becomes reiterated in the new book that I'm working on, um, where by Radu is, is being introduced to the people of the surface world. And he's saying, you know, we're going to be here. We've established relationship with you, diplomatic relations, and we're not going away. And we don't care if the outer world finds out about it because we're, basically saying this is it and we're here to stay. So this is a very, very uh, uplifting message if one can tap into it. And um, some people who really admire my work have been somewhat dismissive about this particular aspect or book because they get put off by Radu for whatever reason, uh, particularly his long-winded descriptions of uh, proving his point in the first two chapters. So, and they're missing for us. You, you know, but Peter, the way you tell a tale, the way people that are following you, it's going to go along that each person is going to feel the fractal of the uh, Messiah or the Kalki within them uh, resonating. And, and it's like it's, it's, it's in everybody, too. 
And exactly. it's, it's, I, but just by but just by following your tail, that's what's happening. You're making that stand out. Well, yeah, and that's 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 what's in the book, but it's also what I focus on or emphasize because, as I said earlier, about the alchemy is very important. We have to take this and we have to transmute, um, you know, the, the base metals into the gold. And, I, and I've looked mm-hmm. at my personal life in the last year or two, and if I looked at it a different way, I could see all sorts of tragedy and pitfalls and hell. But I don't. I, I, I don't. I don't look. I said, God, I don't look at my life. But if I if I like relate all these instances that happened and all this stuff, I don't look at it that way at all. Because uh, I said, boy, if I looked at it a different way, I could I could have a real negative attitude, and I could say, you know, I had a really shitty life. But I can also look at it and say, man, I've you know basically done what I wanted to do, and everything else is gravy, and and the world is beautiful. Um, so it's, it's like, perspective Perspective is very important. Um, it's how you interpret things and, and, and what choices that you make now. So that's, Uh I want to take this to an uplifting place. And I also want to say something now, like, where do we want to go with this? Because we have about, uh, you know, something like 20 minutes thereabouts. And, uh, I'm going to go back to, uh, uh, David, David, and this actually occurred to me in a dream. Um, David Anderson will come to me in my dream sometime. And in, in this one dream, he was, um, I was sitting on a couch with him and explaining to him the Cavendish experiment. Um, and when I told him this, you know, because I'm talking about the inside of the earth, he started laughing uproariously like it was the most laughable thing he'd ever heard. Now, maybe that's because he's schooled in science. Uh, but maybe he was laughing because it opened a door to him, because he's not a prejudiced person at all. And this is what Radu said something very interesting. He mentions it in the book, and I'll quote it word for word. Uh, it's in the inter- in his introduction or his preface in the, to the new book. He says, first of all, he disavows all the stuff on the Internet that reports to be in touch with him or saying that they're him or they're aligned with him uh, with the exception of myself. And he says, one of the significant portals of awareness opened by Peter Moon is the association he has managed to forge with Dr. David Anderson, a physicist who very well understands the necessity of shielding certain information almost totally. This is by reason of his position as a scientific consultant and subcontractor for the Pentagon as well as every government agency of the USA that he has worked for. The subject of the volume that is presented here can be an excellent study for David Anderson. Um, so, you know, he, he basically, and what he also says in the book, or what the, is that if somebody has a device like the time reactor that David Anderson has, that you can't penetrate these areas unless your consciousness is aligned with these areas. So you could have a time reactor, and if, you, if you're, you're operating the time reactor, time machine, whatever you want to call it, you're not going to be able to penetrate unless you're aligned with it. And I suppose the same could be said for Caesar trying to penetrate who created all this. You know, 
his consciousness wasn't aligned to be able to discover that. So this is one of, you know, this sort of tells us it's all about the, the secrecy. Now, what one of the first things I did uh, when I finished this book or when David came back on onto my uh, radar for a short time last month, I had I had sent him actually uh, sent him the books, the, the two new books, which was, was, of course, this one inside the earth. But I also sent him the Montauk Project Experiments in Time, which is actually dedicated to him. And it actually has his his. Um, information on the time reactor in there, the patent application for the time reactor, and a full description of it. So, um, but he was, he did relay to me that he was very interested in reading the books, which means that it's, Radu is intending that this, this can serve as a guidepost to help him in, in reaching into areas that perhaps he's, uh, not encountered before. But that's all we can do is, is speculate because David doesn't talk about uh, a lot of things, to say the least. But that, that's uh, what I wanted to say about that. Do you guys have any questions? I do have a question. How does this all tie into your book on Ong's Hat, where they found the portal? Well, Ong's Hat is is um is a complicated construction which is often dismissed as a socially created experiment a socially uh a social experiment like uh by circulating certain information about the, the deeper levels of quantum physics and whatnot um but there are different echelons of um consciousness about that too and because I was so close to the person who put it out there, I, I, I was given a lot of insight that is just hard to put in a explanation. Uh, but so the portal in Ong's Hat, it, the, it was in South Central New Jersey, but there's a location called Ong's Hat that appears on some maps one of them which was given to me by Dr. Ruben Ong. Coincidence, you know, when I met him, he ran out to his car. I told him about it. He ran out to the car and got me the map, gave it to me. Um, but, uh, yeah, that that was, um, you know, there's so much legend about that and really what they were doing. Uh, but was it a portal? It was more of a device they were talking about that would transport you into consciousness into another uh you know dimension so yeah yeah that that was um that was very legendary but i i do believe there is something to it but it's a it's it's like so much in a different context and so much of the context reflects the cutting edge thinking of the time from the uh, the drug culture, uh, the Sufi culture, and even the physics culture. So it's, it's, you know, some people will dismiss it as a social experiment. I tend to think differently, but the most interesting aspect to me about that whole saga, and it has to do with my interaction with Joe Matheny, who was the one who 
did so much of the work and put it on the internet, internet and who figures in my book, Synchronicity and the Seven Seal, is that he was walking down an alley in Chinatown, uh, and he saw the, uh, interdimensional, so whatever we call character, Emery Cranston, sitting in underneath a archway or a doorway of the American Masonic, Chinese American Masonic Lodge. And, uh, he's, he's like, recognize, he says, Joe, uh, how did you like your trip to Montauk? And Joe is just pissed because how does this guy know I was at Montauk? He just got back from Montauk and he's like ready to, uh, choking because he says this is too much and this man would appear in Joe's life as a result of his interaction with the synchronicity generator that he created called the meta machine so Joe got a, a like paranoid at this point because how can this guy know but what was key to me was that location in Chinatown because I visited it twice and uh, the last time I visited was about four and a half years ago and I found out that it was the headquarters of uh, Sun Yat-sen when he was in America. He was the uh, the, the president of China, uh, you know, before World War II, and he operated out of there. It's a and it also the head of that that it's called a a, a tong. The head of that tong was arrested and put in jail. He was a Taoist priest. There's a temple up there. And I asked to get in, and they said, uh, no, you have to ask the FBI. And I saw these people coming out of there. They, uh, they were very friendly. They were all Chinese. And I, I sat out inside of that. I had some interesting adventures there. And But this ties into my uh, what I was talking about, Eclampus Vitus. They control the gold country. I was actually there to investigate Eclampus Vitus, and I met with an old friend of mine from high school, and we went and explored Chinatown. Um, and I got I got a lot of the footage of of the, the they call them the benevolent societies in the back alleys of Chinatown. They're basically uh, front groups for political uh, and sometimes reputed to be violent organizations. Um, so that that was how does it all connect? Well, all of it connects. And even Radu said all of the synchronicities and stuff, they all connect. You know, because I'm going to Romania from different angles. You know, I've got the mm-hmm. the David Anderson connection, and I'm, I'm going to Chocolatina Cave this summer, and I have my own connections there, independent of him, and I, I have my own in-laws connection to it, and I have my own journeys there. So it's like all of these things I'm trying to, you know, you want them to dovetail. You want them to mix. And, and what's interesting that might be a highlight of this month's next month's adventure is basically uh, sort of a Hollywood connection that might manifest up there. Might because I, I will be meeting uh, with a with a guy who's just done a movie or he's going to do it, turn it into a TV series uh, on Sacred Romania that that sort of features. Vlad the Impaler uh, and his esoteric connection to Romania and uh, uh, we're trying to get this produced in, in America it won't require too much money um, but it just has to be done so there could be a lot of I guess what you would call it might, if I were to, to give a theme for the year it would be the 
advent of the, you know, future broadcasting or media relations of this stuff. Which can get quite boring, by the way. I mean, the, the media, once it starts to go into major media, I can get bored with the whole subject. Um, right. You try not to, but anyway, so that's, that's what's on the table. And of course, the sixth book that I'm working on now is Forgotten Genesis, and he's going back into the history of, uh, human beings. And right now, what I'm, I'm reading about is, Well, first off, he really does establish relations with these people, and what he he used they put him on this device in the warehouse where it's like a a helmet where he can see holographically, but it feeds off of his intuition. So if he wants to know something, uh, the intuition will project on the the screen. It's almost like he's interacting with his higher self or his higher knowledge or it is a conduit to infinity because he's able to see and he's learning things. And sometimes he'll hit a point where he, it's kind of like he's going off in the wrong direction and he'll come back and get back on the right direction. And right now he's studying about, um, certainly this is not a new idea, but uh, points in mankind where the DNA was changed uh, to make a primate, an advanced primate, and talking about how so much of it had to do with the being subjected to star configurations and the lights of stars over hundreds of thousands of years. It would take DNA to change. Evolution is a very slow program that can be speeded up under certain circumstances. He also says when you speed up the evolution of a, of a species, you have to let it grow and individually evolve. You just can't <coughs> shoot it up and have it to be. You know, it's kind of like uh, shooting somebody up with steroids and expecting them to be a great baseball player. Uh, you have to let them learn the game and hone their skills. You just can't shoot, pump them up with uh, steroids. So we've got about. Uh, yeah, hey, I, seven, eight minutes. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I got a great question. You know, so uh, if we were to, uh, I want to go back to the inner Earth uh, and the higher civilization there, and if they had one characteristic or organization or system that would really benefit humanity to emulate, what would be the what would be the one that you would say is one would really work here that they're doing that we ain't. Well, you said characteristic. Uh, one, one, what? Yeah, how they function, how they function, what they did to make a society that worked in ways that, that are better than the way uh, a surface people do it. Well, that, that's a very good question, and I guess so much of the uh, the prejudice uh, and stuff that occurs here, and you know, they talk about. Well, this is more in the new book, talking about how the DNA has been damaged in a lot of cases. And it's um, not not necessarily in everybody's case, but in a lot of cases that, you know, you've had you and you have the degenerate atmosphere of, uh, you know, genetically modified food and all that sort of stuff. That, that, that's really detrimental. One of the things is they're very they're um, their guardianship 
in, in, in uh, Qigong, we call it guardian qi, is very much present. They, they don't use those terms, but they, they've basically kept themselves, uh, clean. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, like what, not watching negative TV, not watching, you know, negative programming on TV. You could say they, they haven't engaged the negativity and they've kept it out. This has been an old habit. So I would say that the main difference is with them and the people on the surface of the earth is the people on the surface of the earth have not had the similar protection or self-generated guardianship around them. That's not to say that not everybody on earth is guarded because some people are, but that's the general characteristic. In other words, we've, by incarnating in this world, whatever, by whatever reason, by whatever choice, it, it kind of is evocative of that, you know, ancient sin of Adam. You know, it's like walking into this world and saying, what the hell is here? Uh, and then getting your way back. I, I don't mean to, to, but I'm saying is that they, they came from a, you know, like you might say that they're in the Garden of Eden and never left. I, I don't like to bring in Christian analogy because it's it's just you can kind of rock the mind in the wrong way, but it's um, that's sort of that's probably a, a reasonable paradigm I could use. They haven't opted out. <laughs> you know, we opted out for some reason, uh, and then we've got to find our way. You know, we got to opt back in. Um, that's a buzzword on the internet. You know, opt in, opt out. Um, so you know, we got we can opt in. We can opt out. We so, can opt so, okay. What I'm getting is that they operate on a system of of compassion for one another that's lacking on the surface. Is, is that what it boils down to? Well, that would be a factor because it's like compassion is sort of a natural uh, reaction. You know, it's like, you know, if you see an a- animal being tortured or a person being abused, you know, the natural reaction is to have compassion for that. And then, yeah. uh, and then somebody, you know, might not, and why doesn't somebody have it? Uh, blah, 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 blah. You know, um, and, and of course this, and, and of course they're, they're all in tune with each other as well. It's more like a collective consciousness that is in tune with each other. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, one, one thing that people don't understand, um, about the, the word fascist, is that it comes from the word fascia, which is something you study in, in Qigong or the martial arts. Fascia is the connective tissue of your body. So you want to have control of all of your fascia. And, and a, a fascist society is actually thought of as a dictator, but it's like it's controlling all of the elements of the society. So it's all coherent. So a sane society would have to have all of its fascia intact. That means there would have to be a leader that is that is in charge. And, of course, where we're disconnected from in the world is our leader. What is our leader? Do we want to call it Gaia? Do we want to call it God? You know, this can, this can, this creates factionalization. You know, so it's like we don't even have agreement in the higher order of things in this world. We have a digression and diversion from an ordered whole, from from, and because the, the fascia extends into the universe, you know, it, everything is all connected. So we have, uh, 
what you call a disconnect, you know, just like a, a father who's abusing his family and is half cocked on alcohol. It's kind of what we have in this world. And, um, you know, it's something Peter, that we, we have one people, minute for the end of the show. Um, I should give my website. Yeah. Sky, uh-huh. Skybooksusa.com. Skybooksusa.com uh, to buy books. Also available on Amazon, Kindle, um, etc. And you can also um, go to the Time Travel Education Center. And you're going to go uh, on a trip this summer. Can people see you there, or are you going to be uh, all alone? Well, I'm I'm, I'm going to be with Romanians. Maybe you guys should come next summer. Okay. Thank you so much, Peter. Fascinating. We'll have you back again. Have, okay. have Love you Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Matt Painter. Aloha. attention. I've just been handed an urgent news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. On the go? Still want to listen? Don't have one of those fancy phones with too many buttons. Don't know what an app is? Or you don't even care? Well, we got you here at Revolution Radio. Now you can dial in 24-7 to listen to our shows. We have a number for Studio A and Studio B. And best of all, it's free. Don't forget, your carrier charges for your cell phone provider may apply, though. So check with your cell provider to make sure. So ready? Here you go. Get a pen. Here's the number. Studio A is 712-432-6958. And Studio B is 716-748-0112. Thank you very much for listening to Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com, the number one listener-supported radio station in the world. Hey, everyone. It's Barbara Jean Lindsay, the Cosmic Oracle. If you have questions about your past lives or future plans, need answers from the cosmos about your love life or career, or just want to keep your finger on the pulse of the planet, check out my show, The Cosmic Oracle, here on Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com. Thanks for tuning in to Revolution Radio. Here at Revolution Radio, we are listener-sponsored and commercial-free. But there still are bills to pay. In order to raise some needed funds to cover the cost, our station is offering a silver special. In the continental United States for a $60 donation, or in Alaska, Hawaii, or Canada for a $70 donation, we will send you an uncirculated 2018 one-ounce pure silver eagle. The $70 donation, uh, the extra 10 is to cover shipping, by the way, outside of the continental United States. 
When making the donation, you must put Silver Eagle promo in the notes on the donation. And thank you for tuning in to Revolution Radio at revolution.radio and freedomslips.com. Without you, there is no less. Revolution Radio, where information never sleeps. Looking for a nightcap to fill your listening needs? Come join us on Spaced Out Radio with me, Dave Scott, right here on Revolution Radio. Monday through Friday for three hours a night, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, we will take you down the supernatural path. From ET contact to the paranormal and all of the spiritual, cryptid, and conspiracy stories in between, you can find us right here on Revolution Radio at spacedoutradio.com, on Twitter at 